I'm Tiffany Weber. This is the North Carolina Real Estate Show. Welcome back. I'm an attorney at Thomas & Weber, and I'm joined today by... Erica Henson, also an attorney at Thomas & Weber. So happy to have you. Thanks for coming back again. Um, it's always a treat when you join us because she's smarter than me, so she brings up all these points that I forget. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I feel like, you know, I have to up my game anytime she's in the chair next to me. Uh, today... We are going to talk to you about property lines, so things to look out for on a survey. Survey, as all of you know, is the way to determine where the property lines are on the ground. So a surveyor comes out, puts stakes in the ground, and you can know this is where my property ends and my neighbor's begins. Now, one thing that I want to remind, I probably should have said this at the beginning, is that Survey issues are title issues, and in our standard offer to purchase, the seller is obligated to resolve title issues prior to closing, or else they're in breach. So the survey is very important because how else will you know some of these things if not for the survey? And if you close without knowing these things, you can't go back to the seller after the fact and say, well, there was a title issue the whole time. That's part of your due diligence. Yeah. And you're stuck. Once mm -hmm. you close, if there's a title issue that could have been disclosed by a survey, you're stuck mm -hmm. with it. You have to resolve it now. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about when you get a survey, what do you look for? Take it away. Yeah. So let's just start out. Uh, outdated surveys. You know, some people don't want to get a survey when they purchase property or a home. Um, and you should, you know, we recommend that always, mm -hmm. right, to see where the property lines are, where there might be encroachments or violations. But also, you might have an outdated survey. Maybe mm -hmm. your seller got one from 15 years ago. Well, it could be outdated now. So you don't always want to rely on that. So mm -hmm. looking at the age of the survey um, can tell you a lot because mm -hmm. there could be violations now that didn't exist 15 years ago. And mm -hmm. plus the technology today is a whole yeah. lot better than it was 15 years ago. Yeah, I was looking at a survey just today um, that was about 15 years old, it had about 12 years old, I guess. And the agent had a question for me of like, well, do we really need a new one? And my answer will always be yes. There are very rare circumstances where I could, I might say, okay, maybe you could get by like a newly platted lot and there's, it's vacant. But this was, you know, the house is built, there are outbuildings, there are things that have been added as far as like outdoor features, like fire pits, et cetera. And the survey already showed a couple setback violations. So, okay, well, let's see, or do we still, did they fix that during the time that they owned it? We won't know that without a current survey. But let's just assume that you're a buyer that doesn't want to get a new survey and there are no outbuildings, there's no fences, there's nothing that could be considered an, an encroachment. There's like conceivably no way that there could be some issue, you know. You may be able to rely on the seller's old survey if they'll sign basically a survey affidavit saying that there have been no changes to the property since that survey was obtained, that they're willing to indemnify you and the title company if that turns out to be incorrect. That's a big risk for a seller to take on. Um, they're probably not going to if there have been changes. So that's kind of telling if a seller's like, oh no, I'm not gonna indemnify you. Get a survey, because <laughs> that means something is up, something's different. 
what else would you look for in a survey? Yeah, so we might look for setback violations, as you mentioned a minute ago, you know, especially if, if someone has added something to the property, mm -hmm. maybe in addition to the home, a swimming pool, hardscapes outside, mm -hmm. things like that. So you, you would be looking for that. And those can, you can get them resolved in a number of ways via local authority or something like that, relief from a variance or the mm -hmm. HOA restrictions. Um, but it's important to know it up front, right? Mm -hmm. um, before you purchase the property. Yep. And um, if you're trying to go the variation or the variance route, that's an uphill battle because typically one of, um, it can vary depending on the local ordinance, but almost always one of the elements to get a variance is that you have to be blameless. Uh, you didn't do anything wrong. So if you build something within the setback, you have a way to know where the setback is. So if you, if you choose to build it anyway and you just willingly did not figure out whether you're violating the setback, the local governing body is not going to take kindly to that. They're not going to say, like, oh, ignorance, yeah, that's fine, we'll give you a variance. If that was the case, there'd be variances all over the place for everything. <laughs> um, so, the, you know, if it's a restriction-imposed setback, then you would get relief from that just like you would any other restriction, and that's by consent of anyone that has the authority to impose the restrictions. So that might be the, the HOA board if they have the power, the declarant if they still hold the power, or um, let's say you're in a neighborhood like mine. I'm on Weber Island. I don't have any restrictions, but every <laughs> property around me does. But there's no HOA. There's no mechanism other than going to every homeowner in my neighborhood that's under those same restrictions and getting them to release you. Signed before a notary and recorded in the Register of Deeds. So yeah, setback violations, big deal. Sometimes the statute of limitations runs out on them and you might not have to be that worried about it, but if you have not exceeded the statute of limitations, it's gonna matter a little bit. <laughs> and if you want something, you know, a setback violation resolved before closing, it takes time. Mm -hmm. If you're gonna go one of these routes, you know, to get a variance or, re or relief of some sort, it takes time. Yeah, months. Yeah or longer, depending on how many people need to sign that relief from the restrictions, maybe a year or more. <laughs> now I see on this list encroachments. I also see fences. Let's start with fences. Finding a fence on the survey, I mean, everybody's happy to not have to spend money to put in a fence, but what do you do when you see that it's not on the right side of the property line? You know, either somebody else's fence is on your property or yours is on someone else's. Um, what do we recommend? Yeah, so we could, um, well, we could ask the neighbor to move their fence, but yeah. the likelihood of that happening is, is not very good. I, I don't know. Or we could grant an easement to the neighbor stating that they can leave the fence where it is, but if they ever want to move the fence, tear it down, rebuild the fence, it needs to be 100% across onto their property line. Mm -hmm. So that is, a, you know, I would say a relatively straightforward way to deal with it, so long as that fence isn't encroaching too far mm -hmm. on somebody's property. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it's like if the parties are willing to let it be, let it stay where it is, then the encroachment agreement is a very narrowly tailored, efficient solution for that. It's a lot less risky to have someone encroaching on you than it is for you to be encroaching on someone else because if someone's fence is, is 0.5 feet over the line on your side, 
you might not care at all. It might not bother you whatsoever. But if your fence is encroaching onto the neighbor, your current neighbor might be fine with it, but what about the person they sell to? They mm -hmm. might not be. And then you're spending money to resolve the location of the fence that you didn't put in the wrong place in the first place. So I tend to see it as a more pressing issue if it's you encroaching on a neighboring property than other way around. Sure. Now, encroachments in general, what else could yeah. there be other than fences? Yeah, you could see where an outbuilding, mm. your neighbor's outbuilding, or your outbuilding, if you're selling property, your outbuilding crosses over into your neighbor's property line. Mm -hmm. um, I mentioned earlier hardscapes, retaining walls could also be, you know, crossing the property line and encroaching. Mm -hmm. So those are two other common things that we see. Yeah, and you resolve those the same way that we talked about fences. Um, you know, those are the things we recommend. Move it, encroachment agreement, now this is not a resolution of the title issue, but you could try to negotiate a credit mm -hmm. uh, for how much is it gonna cost you to deal with this after closing? Okay, maybe you could ask for a credit in that amount or a price reduction because, you know, whatever it's worth to you to take on the risk of having to move it later, whether that's immediately after closing or when you try to sell or when the neighbor gets mad, you know, whatever that may be. Now, the next thing you might see on a survey, uh, driveways. So there's a couple things on this. You gotta have a driveway to your house, you know, whether it's gravel, dirt, concrete, whatever. But there are some things that would matter. It's that the survey I was looking at this morning. So there was a shed built within the setback. There was um, a batting cage of the neighbors over on, t this, this would have been the perfect survey to talk about today. The neighbor's batting cage or some structure was encroaching onto the subject property and the subject property's driveway encroached onto a neighboring property by a very small amount, but still, the survey was 12 years old. I'm not suggesting that the survey was wrong, but potentially with an updated survey, we might find, okay, maybe the batting cage has been moved. Maybe the shed was moved. Maybe the driveway is not encroaching onto the neighbor's property. So that would help us know what real title issues exist as of today. So driveways not being where they should be is a big issue, but also talk about joint driveways a little bit. Yes. Yeah, so your buyer would want to know if they're going to share a driveway with a neighbor. And there should be some type of joint driveway agreement in place to outline, you know, general use of the driveway, mm -hmm. but then also what happens if it needs to be repaired? What happens if one person is negligent or one party is negligent and damages the driveway? Well, then who pays for that? Mm -hmm. And they don't have to be overly complicated, the driveway agreements, but something would need to be in place so that the parties are uh, understand and are protected in, in the event that something happens. So if you have a seller or even a buyer that shares a driveway, you, you would want to get a joint driveway mm -hmm. agreement if one does not exist. Yeah, definitely. Lots of disputes come up over, well, they damaged the driveway. Why should I have to fix it? But then you also need it to access your property. So you can't just let it stay in disrepair. Easy way to do that is to spend just a little bit of money up front on that joint driveway agreement, get it recorded. It'll be binding on you and whoever you share the driveway with and their heirs, successors, and assigns. So if they sell it to somebody that you end up hating, guess what? That person's still gonna be obligated to help you fix the driveway should something go sideways. This next point, we had a survey come through our office within the last month that illustrates this point so clearly, and I know that you worked on this issue quite a bit. Disputes over property lines due to deed errors. How could that be? Yeah. So the survey in this case revealed that the property that the sellers were trying to convey 
um, there was some overlap in ownership, right? Mm -hmm. So it appeared that, you know, the survey showed what the owners owned, but yet part of that property had been conveyed by someone else several years ago. So that's where we see the overlap. So now there is a dispute about who is the rightful owner of a section of this property mm -hmm. that was conveyed, I don't know, inadvertently, maybe not, you know, maybe they didn't recognize that they were conveying something they didn't own. Mm -hmm. But the survey revealed that, and that's really important because otherwise the buyer in this case would have no taken title to property with a, a huge title issue. And in fact, our sellers, they didn't get a survey mm. two years ago when they purchased the property. So this was news to them when their buyers got a survey. They had no idea they were gonna have to deal with, yep. with this type of uh, and discrepancy. And under the offer to purchase, they're legally obligated to fix it one mm -hmm. way or another. Um, how do you resolve that? Yeah, so that, that gets resolved with a quiet title action, which can be costly. If you're an agent sitting here thinking, mm, I don't know that I've heard quiet title action, or I vaguely remember that from real estate school, what, uh, like catch us up on that? Quiet title action is an action in litigation. You gotta go to court, you gotta file a lawsuit, you gotta name everybody that could potentially have an interest in the property. And then you've gotta plead, you know, file a complaint listing all the facts. You're gonna go through every step of litigation unless the parties just agree to settle and, you know. But then you're gonna get to the courthouse and the judge is gonna tell you who owns the property. So that's a form of declaratory judgment where there doesn't necessarily, it's not your traditional like breach of contract, it's we don't know what is true here, or we don't know who owns what. Judge, please help us sort this out. So the judge enters an order saying, you own this part and you own this part, and that's what it is going forward. And you're at the mercy of the court calendar, you're at the mercy of the lawyer's schedules, getting all the parties together, you're paying by the hour almost always for that. So a couple hundred dollars on a survey, or a couple hundred dollars an hour on a litigation attorney. Mm, I know what I would pick. A survey. <laughs> yeah, I think I would too. No shade to the litigation attorneys. I've been one. Um, still <laughs> would pick a survey. <laughs> Is there anything else you can think of? I feel like that's pretty detailed, but if there's anything else you wanted to add. Yeah, just one more thing. So when we, we talk about um, encroachments, uh, fences, driveways, things like that, outbuildings, what have you, if you have a seller that knows there's an encroachment, like mm. their neighbor is encroaching on them or they are encroaching on their neighbor, it's established, but they've let it go. Maybe before the property is listed, the neighbors can come to an agreement. We do have we do see sometimes where the neighbors agree to, to convey between each other a small parcel, right? Mm -hmm. So that the encroachment is resolved that way. You can sell, you know, the, the neighbors Neighbors can agree on whatever the terms will be, but we uh, convey that small parcel to get rid of the encroachment. Mm -hmm. That's another option. Yeah, um, that's if, a good point. If you know up front. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and it also, is, it's definitely less pressure to get it done before you list. I mean, yeah. if it's a problem during the contract phase, it's a problem before you go under contract too. Yeah. Just because you're not under the gun to get it fixed before closing doesn't mean it's not still a legal issue. So why not clean it up? That's a great point. Thank you for mentioning that. Well, I have nothing else to add. I can't follow up that. That was, a, that was such a good point. <laughs> so thank you guys for joining us. Hopefully you learned a little bit more about like the things that we're looking for, that we see common issues on a survey. These are the red flags to tell your clients about. You know, This is why you get a survey rather than skip it. And just always encourage that survey where possible. 
because there's so many things that can be fixed or avoided altogether or just information that your client can use to make a good decision about the home that they want to purchase. As always, thanks for joining us on the North Carolina Real Estate Show. Thank you. And we will see you in the next episode. Bye.